I'm Simone. I'm an alcoholic. Only after, yeah. Well, you know, I uh, I sobered up over in the San Islope area. That's uh, having coming out for the second time out of the Looney Bin over at St. Luke's Hospital up on the third floor. We had I was in the lock ward for the second time, and I was in there. I made a friendship there with a young lady by the name of Vicky. And when she came out, when I came out, we both came out. We used to get together and go drinking and carousing and attempt to molest each other and it wouldn't go very far. She was drunk and I was drunk. And, you know, it was a bright spot in my life because there was no bright spots in my life. I had, uh, you know, uh, my life had deteriorated a total disaster from one, you know, debacle after another, from disaster after another until I wound up with nothing. You know, I started up with a lot of promise. I, uh, I grew up in the uh, Phoenix area, the Glendale area. I, uh, you know, I picked a lot of cotton as a kid, a lot of cotton, and picked out, and I went to California and picked fruit over there and all that. And I, uh, you know, we were we were humble, poor people, and uh, I, I resolved that uh, that I want to do something with my life other than pick cotton the rest of my life. So I pushed myself very, very hard. And actually, when I when I uh, I, I had completed my uh, my pre med already, when I started drinking, you know, I went to St. Mary's was in the uh, advanced curriculum and I graduated with honors and all of that stuff because I, I worked very hard and uh, that was a goal that I had and uh, I was accepted to the School of Medicine in Tucson and uh, Lincoln, Nebraska and drinking about that time started. So once drinking started everything else had to be put on hold and that was put on hold for, for, for quite a long time and of course I uh, focused more on my calling which was drinking drinking and carousing and carrying on. But, you know, during that time, during the time that I was going to, to college, I, uh, I, uh, I got a job with a large, large uh, wholesale pharmaceutical firm who handled large quantities of all kinds of drugs and everything. We filled orders and all that. Since I was going to go into the medicine type, you know, I figured that's a good place to go. So I, uh, I learned all about the math, real good math, not the street stuff. And uh, they didn't keep track of it too well back in those days. And uh, it was not considered a drug or, you know, they, they used it very, very loosely. And the one I had was the most dangerous kind I found out later. And it was manufactured by Abbott Desoxin. And I used tons of it. And I took tons of it, you know. And uh, they were so loose that there was a bottle of 500 in the restroom. That broke. It used to have glass in those days, and there was a bottle of 500. But they had it there, and everybody was wired up, running around, filling orders, and running. And then, so it's just about as sincere. So you know. Anyway, it was my introduction. So I I uh, I, uh, I came out of the Looney Bin after you know many 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 disasters and whatever. You know, my wife divorced me, and uh, my parents kicked me out, and you know, and I ended up living with my parents, which was totally disgrace. You know, at my age. And, you know, my peers were, were uh, successful people. You know, by that time, the people that I went to high school with that graduated, you know, they were all dentists and doctors and because I was in a highly advanced curriculum, chemists. And, you know, there was a guy who used to help out in the laboratory, Victor, Victor Bradshaw, because he used to stumble around in the lab. So we all kind of had mercy on him. We helped him along. Well, when I was uh, in, in the bottom of my uh, disaster, you know, I got a little job delivering uh, material to a plant where they did uh, iodized and um, did metallurgy work and all that. And I walked in there, and who the heck is in there but Victor with his big white smock. He's a chemist, a company chemist. And I thought, oh, geez, I used to help this turkey get to the lab. 
you know, and here I am now making little deliveries. And he's out there, you know, an important person, and I, I really felt horrible. Anyway, I came out of the Looney Bin, and uh, one Friday I called up Vicky and says, are we going to do the regular that we do every Friday? And she says, I'm going to go to an AA meeting. And I cracked up laughing, you know, just, why are you going, ever going to go to an AA? My counselor says I'm an alcoholic and I need to get started with AA. And I, I thought that was hilarious. He says, why don't you go with me and I'm, kind of give me some support. So that was my introduction to AA. And you know, I, I liked AA from the very beginning. I liked the people. I liked the uh, humor and I liked the glint in their eye, their laughter and their happiness. And I walked in and I was totally, totally surprised, totally surprised. And then over there by the coffee pot, there was uh, the guy who was going to be my sponsor later. And some other guys, and they were talking among themselves, and they're trying to get organized. And he said, well, where are you going to go tomorrow? No, I'm going to go with him. We're going to go to Bartlett. We're going to go, you know, bass fishing over there and crappie fishing. Well, really? How about you guys? No, we're going to go with him. We're going to go play golf tomorrow. He says, these are regular people who do regular things. They go fishing. They're outdoors. They look like nice people. I thought, I like this AA. And then uh, we went to the coffee shop afterwards, and of course I was broke, of course, and they, uh, you know, brought me a hamburger and fries and soda pop, and I thought, wow, these are really nice people. I really liked AA, so whenever Vicky went, I went with her. But uh, Vicky got sober, and Simone did not get sober, so Vicky dumped Simone. <laughs> she, she kept hanging out with me, you know, so, so there I was again. So I came to AA again, you know, because I really had no place else to go. My world was very, very dreary and dark, if not chaotic and horrible, you know. And, uh, you know, I came to AA, and I stumbled around AA for about two years. You know, I was going to meetings and drinking and going to meetings and drinking. And I loved AA. I enjoyed it. I liked the people. But you were asking too much. You know, when you read that fifth chapter, rarely have we seen a person fail, you know. We have to give up our old idea. The result was nil until we let go. Absolutely. Oh, I knew what I was reading. And I thought, God, these people are fanatics. They go to meetings all the time, morning, noon, and night. Jesus, you know, they eat, drink, shit, hey, hey, God, you know. These people, and then they would hear stuff like, uh, if your wife drops dead, you walk over her dead body, get dressed in a, a meeting. Because when you get back, she'll be sober, she'll be dead, you will be sober. And I thought, God, these people are nuts, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but that was good, because I got the idea that this was serious business. This was required, you know, a, a, a complete dedication. And I stumbled around, and I did not want to do it. But I heard some good things in AA. I heard what we all hear. If you're an alcoholic and you keep on drinking what has not happened to you, and you hear happen around here, it will happen to you. And I had already had plenty happen to me. And it just kept right on happening. And after one of those happenings, one another debacle, I knew. I knew that I had to cut the BS and get serious about the program. And I determined very, very, very calmly that I was going to surrender to this program 100%, 110%. No BS. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to do this whole program. And, you know, I didn't know if I'm going to stay sober. I don't know that I'll stay sober. And I don't know that, uh, but I'm not going to go anywhere. Because I would see people fall all around me. You know, people relapse, you know, she fell and he fell and he fell. Jesus, like a war. I'm going to get shot sooner or later. You know, I can't. My luck's going to run out. And I was scared. I did not want to drink anymore. And this is where the third tradition comes in for me. Because it's, but I can't join this group. I'm not an alcoholic. I understood God did not believe I was not an alcoholic. Because I'm, I'm nuts. I'm a psycho. You know, and, 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 and when I drink, I can't keep the psychosis underneath. It, it comes out to the surface. <laughs> uh, that's a perfect definition of alcoholism. 
if I ever heard one. But I didn't know at the time. I, was, I didn't know. And of course, I'm an alcoholic, but I didn't know it. But it says the only requirement is the desire is to stop drinking. That's a third tradition. I thought, hey, I'm in. I have a real desire to stop drinking. Because I cannot drink. Because I, I go crazy. I, you know, I drink and I go insane. And it's unpredictable what I'm going to do. And sometimes I can remember, sometimes I cannot remember. So I can't AA like that. And I got serious and I worked the program and I got sober. And I was very, very surprised at how easy it was. This is effortless. It is effortless. Once I surrender to the program and do everything that I'm supposed to do, work the steps and go to meetings. And, you know, back then, uh, we didn't have, I think we had one 12-step meeting over at the central office. People were not too focused on big book study meetings and 12-step meetings. You know, people say, is that true? Yes. A lot of 12-step, a lot of 12-step work, you know. We didn't have the facilities that, you know, there are here today, you know, where they have hospitals and all kinds of treatment facilities and all that. They had a few halfway houses and they had the crossroads and the guidepost and some places like that. And, you know, we did a lot of that work. We sobered up a lot of people ourselves. And, of course, I followed my sponsor around and he'd call me and... Uh, he said, you will sign up with central office. And he got me to sign up with central office, and I did that reluctantly. You know, I was not definitely a poster boy for AA. You know, my brother joined AA a little while later. He's, he's in the program. He's been there for a while also. And, you know, and he surprised me because he took off, and he really became a poster boy for AA. God, you know, he had meetings in his house and all that, but I kind of slowed down a little bit, you know, even though I was committed. And, you know, and I, I, I stayed sober, uh, and, and, and I did what I was told, you know, uh, and, uh, exactly as I was told. And, my, you know, I signed up with central office, and I remember, and I tell this one because it happened more than once, that I had signed up with central office, and uh, they called me at the worst time. I'd been waiting for the sporting event to come on for months, and it's coming on Saturday morning, and I got my chips and my iced tea, and, all that, and I'm sitting, and the phone rings, and it's central office. Simone! We have somebody down in South Phoenix, you know, and he don't speak English, you know, so he's a Mexican guy. Yeah, can you go over there and talk to him? And I thought, yeah, I'll go talk to him. So they gave me the address and all that. I never thought of taking anybody with me. I was kind of unorthodox. But when I hung up the phone, I started, you know, just so pissed off. So am I the only Mexican in town, for God's sakes? Can they find another Mexican to go? Does it have to be me, you know? God, I should have said no, you know, but, you know, I went. You know, and something happened every time when I went, is that when I got there and I uh, rang that doorbell or knocked on that door and the person opened the door, you know, I immediately was glad that I was there. There is no reason why I would miss this. It was incredible. And I was very glad to deliver the message of AA. And I was very glad to be there. And I saw, you know, the prayer of St. Francis that we read around here, you know, in my journey, somewhere along the way, I went to the seminary. I thought I might be a priest once upon a time. <laughs> in fact, I went to the Santa Barbara Seminary in California to be a Franciscan. So I knew that prayer very well. You know, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace and all that. Just used to pray. And I thought, oh, these alcoholics are silly. You know, that, that their prayer is just too high-minded for us alcoholics. But when I did that, you know, where there is despair, hope, where there's darkness, light. And that's what we do when we do 12-step work. That's when I realize that I am doing that today. Whenever I go there and I talk to an alcoholic and I see them, I see the hope in their eyes as I deliver the message, like Bill Wilson did with Dr. Bob. You know, and I always go back to 
to that when I think I tossed the work of, of Bill and Bob, because it didn't start off very well, but it ended up very wonderfully. And I'm always glad to think about that. It always brings good memories to me, you know, because we were talking about a play, and I saw the play. I don't know if any one of you have been fortunate enough to see the play that comes here. Uh, and I saw that. In fact, I saw that three times. Boy, that moved me to tears. I was moved to tears because I realized how fortunate, fortunate we are and how fortunate I am, you know, to have made it into AA like that and the many people that I have known. And so I, uh, you know, I, I went and I realized, you know, that uh, AA has been my life. It's been my life. Early on in my sobriety, I, uh, you know, I, I, I came with nothing. And I felt sorry for myself because I did not have a wife, I did not have a house, I did not have a car, I did not have a job, I did not have anything. I had lost everything. I was living with my sister and she was ready to kick me out any minute. And she did after I sobered up. But at least I was sober and I had a place to go. And, uh, you know, the good God took care of me because my brother came up and he said, there's a position available at Superlight Block and Brick, which is downtown hard physical labor making construction type materials, you know, blocking windows and doors and all that. And they, they, they hassle you and they're on your butt all the time. But says it's, it's, it's a janitor. You clean the toilets and you clean the... Oh, I took the job. I was glad to do that. You know, then of course I moved up and I was doing everything else out in the yard, throwing block and sweating like a horse and eating like a pig and, you know. But I loved it because that math did a number on me. Let me tell you, for about a couple of years longer, I shook... I was a mess. You know, I had long periods of serenity and peace, but I had periods of pure anxiety. You know, and that's, let me tell you, uh, and uh, there was no compassion then. Nobody said you have to go on those funny little pills, you need tranquilizers, nothing. You just hung on for dear life. So I, I, I paid my dues. I paid my dues. It says, well, you didn't drink that long. Hey, I did enough damage in the time that I did for me because I could not sit at an AA meeting. I walked and walk to many AA meetings because I had, so now I would sit and I'd be doing this number, you know, and I'd be, my foot would be shaking and, oh, honest to God, 10, 15 minutes into the meeting, I would quiet down, you know, and I did not know why that would happen, but I would settle down and I would calm down. You know, that, that math is something terrible, terrible, terrible. I know people who have come down with psychosis as a result of math, you know, schizophrenia and, you know, schizoids and stuff like that, you know, because I worked in the field. Anyway, I, uh, I did, and I was working out at Superlight just as happy as could be. And I went to meetings, and I went to work, and I went to meetings, and I went to work. That was my entire life for about two or three years. That's all I did, just go to meetings and go to work, and go to meetings and go to work. And I got an old, old clunker car that, you know, I, I would treat very gently. And it, just, it took me to meetings. That's all I did. It was my life. Then my sponsor got a hold of me and kind of ruined everything. And he always had to... We're going to go to the dance on Saturday. It says, I don't want to go to no dance, you know. You know, really, I... I uh... But then something else happened. There was a gentleman, there was St. Luke's had opened up a, a satellite program in the Hispanic community called Corazon, but it was a satellite of St. Luke's. And a gentleman in AA, also at the university, had written a paper, Norm Heard, and uh, the chronic inebriate, the Hispanic chronic inebriate, you know, and he got funded through the Johnson administration years that he got funded, and so they started this program, and they were looking to staff it. And Tony, Tony Ochoa came up and said, Simon, I want you to go work over there. So I don't want to work over there. I'm happy where I'm at at Superlight. Don't bother me. And he kept pestering me. And then he did the underhanded thing. He called my sponsor. 
And my sponsor was Danny Kay. I don't know if you know him. Danny Kastner. Danny Kay was a great sponsor. Just a perfect sponsor for me. He said, Savon, go, to, go over there and give it a whirl. My God, you can get, go back to super light. And see, now that I was sober, I could go back to super light because I was a good employee. I was on time. I never missed work. I always finished my quota early. You know, you know, we were good workers once we were sober. And I knew when I get to AA, and this is the way I looked at it. You know, I said, you know, if I don't drink for a year, what's going to happen? Nothing but good will happen. Because I'm a working guy. You know, I grew up in the farms working. You know, that's all I did is work. Work and go to school. School boy and, you know, and farm boy. You know, you, I bucked a lot of hay. We used to load up those semi-trucks with, you know, a bunch of us young guys. You know, we'd be throwing those bales up there in the hot sun. And, you know, you just did that. So work was not something that I was I had an aversion to. It. So I knew, you know, I work. I will work, and I know that I will do well if I don't drink. And this is what happens if I drink. I'm probably going to be dead. Probably going to be in prison, you know, because we're from New Mexico. And over there it's a hunting state, and we had a lot of guns. Because people, we lived off the land, you know. We lived off the land. We got, so we had all kinds of, so when he came to Arizona, we still had the guns. And, of course, drinking and guns don't mix. They, they, they're a bad combination. And then guns and drinking and a crazy man like me just, oh, that's a worse combination. You know, and, uh, my brother shot at me. You know, he was drunk and I was drunk and we got into a, a tizzy and I was going up the mountain and he was shooting at me. And I knew, that's crazy. You know, and I was totally, caught, oh, he ain't going to hit me. He's such a lousy shot. Oh, <laughs> He's just trying to wing you. Yeah, you know, <laughs> totally. And then I, I, I'm coming down from the mountain later, and I see these little light. And, and I, I, it really brought tears to my eyes later when I thought about it, because I hear this voice, Simone, Simone. I go, that's my wife. She was looking for me. I didn't know if you'd been shot. I didn't know if you were dead or wounded, and I was looking for you. This good grief, what the hell are you doing walking around here? There's rattlesnakes out here, you know? <laughs> And I brought her back to camp, but that was kind of my drinking. Stuff like that happened when I was drinking, you know. So, you know, I, I, I sobered up, and, uh, you know, it, it was good for me. Then I, uh, I went to work for Corazon, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I learned something there that just totally surprised me because I was overwhelmed when I first showed up there because there were professional people there, masters in social work, professional counselors, really, and I'm... You know, I, I'm not trained, and I have what I don't know what my job is going to be, but I'm going to be outreach. I'm not have a counseling position, but you know, before it was over, I was the one who had the biggest caseload because alcoholics know how to talk to other alcoholics, and I know how to reach another alcoholic just like we all do, you know. And I understood in our big book when he says that, and I understood Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob. You know, I, I, I love that play when I saw that, you know, that impressed me so much because I had an experience like that, just like that, where Bill Wilson went to talk to Bob, and Bob was not very friendly. I told him, you have 15 minutes, and get out of here. I don't want to listen to you. And he didn't want to listen, to, you know. And, and he said, well, I can't talk very much in 15 minutes. You're wasting time already. Your time's running, you know. This is a... I'm an alcoholic, and I just got out of the hospital three months ago. You did? What? And they said, name them in that hospital. That hospital? Yeah, I just got out of there, too. And they began to share as friends. And out of friendship, this program was born. 
not a preaching and moralizing and all that, and he was wanted to do it after four hours of talking, you know, and I, that impressed me very, very much, because that's been my, the way I believe, you know, in, informality, I'm not one for formality, because this is the way I, I came in, as it was, it was taught, and it worked for me, and I loved AA from the very beginning, I liked the way the AA meetings go, uh, and so I was there at the, at Corazon, working, just minding my own business, and having a ball, and, you know, I sit there, and I, I was manager of the place, and Manager, which means you have the key, you don't get paid anymore. You just, you just <laughs> sleep there. You get to the privilege of sleeping there, staying there with the guys. But I really enjoyed it, you know, because I, 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 I really was comfortable because uh, in my, the difference between being an alcoholic and an, al- an alcoholic is that I was one of them. I did not feel superior. You know, after the staff was gone, about 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night, I get the key and open the freezer. So you let, you know, when he brought out the, all the snacks and we play poker. All the guys would be playing poker and eating and having a ball. And I stayed there, and I, I, I enjoyed that work. And that son of a gun, somebody comes and says, I'm looking for a gentleman by the name of Simone Molina. And I said, that's me. He says, you've been recommended. And we're opening a program for the post office with a PAR program for alcoholic recovery. This alcoholic up in the, you know, started a program modeled after the DuPont Company program. And I said, well, I'm not interested. And he said, uh, well, I talked to him. He said, do you go to AA? Yes, I go to AA. Of course I go to AA. Do you have a sponsor? Yes. Well, who's your sponsor? Danny K. Danny K. Oh, we got to have you. I says, no, 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 no. Just leave me alone. So they scheduled me for a Friday meeting. And I go there just for the hell of it. And I go in there just pretty much like I'm dressed now. I really didn't want the job. I was not impressed. He says, your salary will be such and such. And you'll have this. And you'll, I don't care. I'm happy here. I'm just, but I went there and I walked in there and I saw people with three-piece suits and people dressed to the hilt and professionals and all that and they call me in and I sit there and I see Stan Day who was the director of the program and uh, I get into an argument with him right away. You know, I start arguing with him because I'm repeating what I've learned. And uh, he's, are you, do you really believe that? Do you believe that? And he's writing all this stuff down and he looks up at me. Oh, I knew I had the job that I didn't want. This is, I didn't want this job. So he calls me. He says, "Simone, you have that job." I don't know that I want to go there, you know. And uh, so I ended up working for the post office with them for their program, <laughs> a job I didn't want. He says, "How the hell did you get that job? People murder for those jobs. I didn't want it. God took me there. It had to be a God thing because I didn't want it." And then the manager, the uh, boss, retired and said, "Do you want to be the boss?" No, I don't want to be the boss. You're the boss. So I ended up managing the program. <laughs> And I had northern half, northern this half of Arizona and eastern Nevada and western New Mexico was my territory. With all those offices were there, and I had to travel all over then, audit all those offices in Tucson and all that. So, how the hell did I end up there from working a super light block and brick and doing that kind of work and ended up there? You know, I don't know. Uh, but you know, it's not something that I, I could have planned or wanted to. I really did not look for that because, uh, uh, you know, what happened after I sobered up? Because I remember, well, you know, I'm sober now. I'm kind of stable. And I have a pre-med. Do I want to go back to medical school? I says, no, I don't want to go back to medical school. See, before that, when I was drinking or before I was drinking, when I was growing up, it was really, really important to succeed. It was really, really important to be somebody. And after I sobered up and I found the peace and the goodness of this program, I didn't care. 
I could stay a super light blocking brick, throwing blocks and making windows for the rest of my life and be as happy as could be. I lost my ambition totally. Then I thought maybe I should get into the computer business because I had good mathematics, lots of mathematics in my background. And computering was just starting, you know, especially programmers. And I went to the computer school and I thought, nah, I don't want to do that. I'll just stay at super light block and brick. And that was, you know, I totally lost my ambition or my desire to succeed. And, you know, and uh, after the, uh, the withdrawals were gone from math, you know, I really had very good sobriety. I was very happy, very happy, very peaceful, very enjoyable. Until I started dating, then that changed the whole picture again. You know? <laughs> that brought in another, another, another thing. But you know, uh, the pitfalls of sobriety to me are, are, you know, if I'm an alcoholic and I work the program and all that, I'm going to succeed. You just, you just cannot help it, because you're an alcoholic. You know, we we we're, we're working people, and we don't mind working and we don't mind applying ourselves. So success is going to come, and with success come a lot of toys. All of a sudden, I had this big four-wheel truck, and I had a boat, mercury engine, and all this fishing equipment, all kinds of guns, and you know, and I was doing all the outdoorsy stuff and all that. And I, I just didn't have so much time for AA anymore. Success came my way, you know, and I almost got drunk. Then I had another problem that, if it's not the toys, it's something else. Is that I'm sober now. Well, see, when I was drinking, I didn't do much of anything except get drunk. I was a nuisance drunk, if not a dangerous drunk. You know, some people say they were out there maneuvering, doing things. I was not. I was just drunk, causing problems and driving drunk and going to jail. And uh, and here I am sober now. So I started chasing the babes, <laughs> something I hadn't done. And that almost got me drunk. You know, because I lost sight of the program, the spiritual part of this program. And uh, thank God that I would go to AA. Uh, and thank God I never stopped going to meetings. What I've done consistently well throughout my, my sobriety is I had never stopped going to meetings. That is one thing that I never stopped going. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I stop going to meetings, I'm going to get drunk. I will definitely get drunk. I, I know that because I know my psychology. I know my mind. See, if I hang around with people who are sober and well, that's what's going to, it rubs off on me. And if I hang out with losers, I've been hung out with losers in AA. Believe me, I became a loser. You know, I started thinking early in my sobriety that, uh, well, so-and-so is not working the program so hard, and so-and-so is doing that, and so how come I have to do work so hard? Why do I have to do it? I mean, I didn't tell my sponsor that, but this is what I was thinking. Why do I have to work? So I started slacking off and slacking off and slacking off, and... You know, going to the dances and chasing the girls and dating and going here and there and misbehaving and everything else. And pretty soon I lost sight of the program. And I got lost. And I got lost. And uh, somebody in AA brought me back. A lady who I spoke at a meeting and she, after the meeting, she ate my butt off. And I thought she was not, you know, who the heck is this lady? I mean, she's uninvited. I mean, well, I don't even know her. And she's telling me, you don't know nothing about AA, do you jerk? She was not very nice either, and uh, uh, saved my life. And believe it or not, she became my sponsor. This lady was tough, tougher than it, and it had to be a lady, because a guy would probably say, "How long you been sober?" Well, probably five, six years at the time. And how long is she sober? Five, six years. Ah, go ahead. That's what a guy sponsor would say. Now, a lady sponsor knows different. Simone, she's nuts, and you're nuts. That was her answer. You can't. And so I. I got back on the program, and thank God for that. 
you know, but those are the pitfalls for me that can can cause a downfall. Is that once we're sober, we're doing well and all that, we get distracted with success. And I think we've seen people in AA who sober up and they really invest time and energy in their career and they lose sight of the program and then they end up drinking again. And I know that can happen to me. I know that I can I can get drunk anyway for me. And I didn't used to share this. You know, I uh, for the longest time, and I had a talk with my sponsor, and he said, Simone, it's not about you. It's about the program. Because I went 25 years without sharing a birthday. I never did one. Never took a chip, never announced it, never said nothing. I did not want to draw attention to myself, so today I make it a point to let you know that I've been sober to this date for 43 years since that day that I got out, you know. And uh, one day at a time, one day at a time, I just do the same thing over and over again. No big deal, nothing different. I just know that this is my life. But I made a decision then, you know, that has stayed with me because this is the way my psychology works. Is I made a decision that I'm going to park my butt in AA and I'm going to stay here for the rest of my life, one day at a time. I'm not going anywhere. This is going to be my home. AA is my home, and I'm going to stay here. And this was way back then. It's like, if I just leave it kind of open, I'm going to go to AA. I ain't going to go to AA. I'll go to AA for six months, and then I'll drift up. But if I say, I'm committed, this is where I'm going to stay. This is where I'm going to live for the rest of my life. I'm here. This is my life, and it has been my life. You know, I, you know, I uh, retired, and I moved to Rocky Point, and I'm active in AA over there. We have a club, American people have a club over there. We call it the Passport Club, and it's just like this. And, uh, you know, it's a small group, but then on weekends we get a lot of people come in, a lot of tourists come in, and we, our group grows up. And, uh, and now we started, we, uh, we started another Mexican meeting at the Passport Club, you know. With the, and, and, and Mexican AA is a little different than American AA because they are so much by the book. You know, I, I'm so informal. I mean, they know all the rules. They know the history of AA. And I'm a disappointment to them because they say, how long have you been sober? And I tell them my length. So they think I know everything about it, and I don't. <laughs> Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob and the story, Akron, Ohio, they know everything. And they know the traditions. They know everything. And they can tell you and read you. And they're really informed. They really are very, very informed. So when they start the meeting, they go through all the formalities that you see you know, we have to notify central office, and we have to do this, and we, you know, we just started an AA meeting over there, and we just started an AA meeting. And then we go to central office and report, and that's it. That's all, that's all I've ever done when we started an AA meeting here in the States. I've never gone beyond that. So they asked me, which reminds me, they were, uh, how, uh, a few years ago, they were down at the Chandler, because I go meetings everywhere. It was Chandler at the GIT meeting, and, you know, I had 35 years then. Because I remember the time, and about three, four guys were arguing back and forth, you know, about how to do the fourth and fifth step, the fourth step. And, you know, what Joe and Charlie said, you got to do four columns, three columns, five columns. I don't know. I'm just listening to this column stuff, and I'm listening. <laughs> so they're going to ask the old timer, me, you know, Simone, how many columns did you do? I don't know. I did one very shitty column. <laughs> 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 but that's wrong. Hey, I'm sober 35 years. I mean, can knock success, see, because I, I, I kind of look at this, you know, see, I'm, I'm, my brother Lee's in the program too, and he's got 42 years, and he came in just after I did, he followed me to the AA, and he has a very different program than I do, he's, he's religious, 
my brother goes to mass and he prays his rosary and he has Bible studies in his house and all that. And I evolved the other way. I came into every staunch Roman Catholic and I don't go to church anymore. I got away from religion. But I, I have a very uh, profound, devout, committed relationship with my higher power today. I, you know, I, I do. I, every day it's meditation and prayer and I really dedicate myself to that because it's an important part of my life. You know, this, this spiritual angle for me but it's, it's not religious. And, and my brother has his, and we get along just fine. You know, he, I leave him alone, and he leaves me alone. He has his program. If I go over there and he wants to pray a rosary, what the heck, I'll pray a rosary with him. It ain't going to hurt me. I'll even go to church with him if he wants me to, but, you know, I'll go to any church as far as that goes. But, you know, we have, we have very, very different approaches. And, you know, what I learn is that how other people work their program in AA is none of my business. Because I went through that phase where I was uh, Mr. AA, and I could tell people they were not working real AA. They was almost AA, but it ain't AA. <laughs> or that is ass backwards AA, or this is, you know. It ain't none of my business how other people work their program. The only program that's any of my business is my program. And I learned that, you know. that, uh, And also, length of sobriety does not necessarily have anything to do with quality of sobriety either. You know, because... Some of us people have been sober a long, long time, and sometimes my sobriety hasn't been anything that anybody should want or would want. You know, it all depends on, on, on my spiritual condition and how much I, I uh, dedicate myself to, to my spiritual program. You know, and I still have all the issues that, you know, uh, that I did, but I don't have the big issues I used to have when I first came to the program. A lot of that stuff had been resolved, you know. And, and one thing about longevity is that, you know, uh, that, that is very, very true. If you've been sober a while, you've been through a lot. See, when I first came to AA, I didn't know that I was going to be sober. I came in May 30th, and I didn't know, oh, God, I don't know if I can make it past the 4th of July. It's always a good get, let's get drunk day. You know, I mean, uh, firecrackers and get drunk. And then after that, it was, oh, I don't know, the football season's coming around. I don't know if I can stay sober through that. You know, because football season was, let's get drunk again. And then Thanksgiving is coming. Oh, God, I'll never make it past the holidays. Oh, good grief. And then you found out that you can get past all that stuff. In fact, it was fairly easy, as long as I did all the right things. And then as you're sober longer, you find out that you can stay sober through death in the family. My mom passed away, and then my dad passed away, and my dear brother passed away, and I stayed sober through that. And you stay sober through other things that happened. You know, the kids didn't come home last night from school, and you know, then you got divorced, and I stayed sober through that. Then I lost my job, and I stayed sober through that. You know, so we stay sober. And I, I if you've been sober a while, you've been through a lot of that stuff already because that's life. And uh, and when you're new, you don't know. You don't know. It's up in the air. You hope that you can stay sober, because none of us are exempt. I had uh, we were talking about Westview Hospital. I'm a, that's my alma mater. I had open heart surgery there, and uh, good grief, you know that was quite an adventure. But um, <laughs> it, it totally took me by surprise. But you know, I had about over thirty years of good, healthy sobriety, and I, I, I when this day came about, you know, the weather turned. Days like this I just loved when I was good and healthy and strong because this is the days that I'd like to get my double-barrel shotgun and go out into the desert and chase quail. And I could do that from sunup to sundown. You know, I had, and I was always looking at if I got drawn for deer or elk or something. I'm a hunter. 
And then I, uh, I did some, uh, some other things. I got some groups organized for hikers and backpackers in AA. I had, we had a bunch of boys and girls in AA. They, we hiked the Grand Canyon two, three times a year. We had AA meetings down there. We hiked the Chiricahua. We backpacked. And, uh, you know, I had a ball. I, I was sharing with Jack that uh, my walk through AA has been wonderful. I've enjoyed it, along with a lot of pains and a lot of growing up. I certainly have not been still. Another thing, you know, that I learned is that we had some new people today at the noon meeting. You know, they were talking about their disasters in their life and the issues that, that they were involved in. One of the things that I learned as I sobered up is that once I got sober, you know, all, all that anxiety, you know, a lot of psychic energy was spent worrying and trying to, oh, my God, how am I going to get out of this debacle again? How am I, oh, my God, this, and I owe this, and I owe that, and they wanna, they're looking for me here, and they're, you know, it was one disaster after another. Then all of a sudden, you don't have any of that stuff, and all this psychic energy that's being sucked out of you is free. And, and what happened after was a spiritual awakening of, of, of a different sort, because one day, and I didn't understand it then, I, 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 uh, I was looking at my neighbor who was out busy in the back digging up. And I, I went over and I says, what are you doing? He said, uh, put in a garden. He says, I got my tomato plants and pepper plants and these plants and I'm digging up. And I had the biggest desire to put a garden. I hadn't done that in years since I was drinking. And, you know, that was born. Man, I went out, uh, got me a pick and a shovel and fertilizer. And I started a big-ass garden back there. Then I'm driving down Van Buren, and there was, I remember, Anderson Archery. I said, what the hell is that all about? And I walk in there, and the guys are tooting. I got into archery. You know, I, I never did archery, and I got to be a pretty decent archer. I want to do some archery. Heck, I could get a check rapid at 40 yards. <laughs> I had a lot of fun with archery. You know, all, I came to life. And then I uh, was with my sister, and we started playing in the choir. I started playing guitar in the choir. And I learned to play guitar, you know, and I... You know, and this, this, this stuff happened. This is for real. This is a result of not wasting all that psychic energy, worrying, 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 and trying to figure out how am I going to pay this. You know, when you, when you paid all, when you blew your money away and you don't have enough money to pay the rent, boy, and then you have to face your wife and you have to face this and that. You borrow money here and you burned all your bridges. It's pretty complicated. And then all of a sudden you don't have all those things hanging over you and have all these, you know, then I'm... Driving down Van Buren again, and I pull in there to buy a boat shop, and, and I walk out with a boat to <laughs> the good grief, you know. And uh, my walk through AA has been nothing but wonderful, wonderful, you know, in spite of the growing pains that's been involved. Because I came in like most alcoholics, very, very, very immature, and I've been involved with uh, in a lot of people's recovery. And you know, uh, what can I say? But that. Uh, there was an old guy in AA that I remember, uh, Fathery. I can't remember his first name, but he says, Simone, nothing but good can come from sobriety. And I was very, very fortunate to come and rub shoulders with some of those people in AA that I knew back then. I know that I rub, I palled around with Black Wally. I don't know if you know, he's an icon. I knew Black Wally, you know. We went to Wickenburg together and all that, and I, I knew Black Wally very well. And uh, some of those old people, you know, Glenn Pettifer, he was another of my heroes, God, you know. Um, you know, that I sat there and I listened to them. It was the plumber. And they, all these people contributed to my sobriety. Because I would sit there and I would watch and I would listen to their wisdom. I would listen to their wisdom, you know. Uh, and that became part of me. 
that became part of my life. And so today, I, uh, if anybody knows anything about me, I'm an AA. I'm an AA guy. Been AA, and I want to continue being AA because this is my home. This is where I belong. You know, I, uh, I went to church because <laughs> I was in the choir, and so I, uh, I ended up going to church, and uh, I'll make it short. They kicked me out. <laughs> the choir. I was leading the choir. You know, I, I cannot stand an untuned guitar. It just bothers me. And so I used colorful language to get this guy to tune his guitar because he just wouldn't listen. You know, and I'm not known for patience. And so you don't use that kind of language in church. You know, they don't like that. <laughs> but I did have a lot of fun. I think that's enough. I mean, thank you guys. Thank you for having me here. Let's go.